Our scripture reading today from God's Word is in two parts. Both are from 2 Timothy, first one, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then chapter 4, verses 19 through 22. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers, night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus remained in Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick in Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you also, Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Couldn't you just listen to Nora's voice all day? <laughs> We're going to miss Nora and Peter. They actually have one more Sunday with us, and then they're moving to Colorado to be with family. So pray for them in their move, if you think of it. I want to begin with a question this morning. Who has most influenced you in your spiritual growth? Think about that for a minute. Who has most influenced you in your spiritual growth? And then... Flip the question over, whom have you most influenced in their spiritual growth? Who have you invested in their lives so that they've grown spiritually? Out on the wall in the foyer is our vision statement. I know you've got it all memorized. You repeat it to yourself regularly, right? By God's spirit, love, and grace, making disciples of Jesus Christ. The elders work long and hard to say, what is God calling us to as a church? Who are we to be? Every church has its own vision, its own calling from God, and that's as it should be. But as we studied the scriptures, and in particularly I want to turn quickly to the Great Commission from Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus, just before he ascended, he left the disciples with this commission, which is our commission as well. It says, Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And if you look carefully at the words there in the original language, though it says go, baptize, teach, the only command in that whole section is make disciples. And so we as a church have taken that and said that's our calling. That's what we're to do. We are to make 
disciples, help people become disciples of Jesus. But what is a disciple? We might all come up with a different definition, but I think the best example is simply looking at Jesus and his 12, right? He came to them and he called them to join him, to be part of his life, to follow him around. And disciples in those days, if they were following a rabbi, they would follow this rabbi for a period of years. And the whole goal of the time was that they might learn everything they could from that rabbi, watch his life, be with him, and become like him. So when we think about making disciples, you can see that the goal is to make someone, help someone become like Jesus in every way. But what does it really mean for us to do that? What does it mean for us to make disciples? That might mean a lot of different things to us, depending on our background, our experience with people, what has happened to us in our walk with the Lord. But One of the great discipleship relationships, I think, in all of Scripture and all of history was the relationship of Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy. So today, as we finish these last few verses of the book of 2 Timothy that we have walked through the entire book this summer, I want to look at the relationship of Paul and Timothy as a model for us. I just want to pull out four principles that we look at to say these are good guidelines for us as we consider what it means for us to do what God calls us to do, to make disciples. If that's our purpose, we need to have a vision. We need to have an idea of what that looks like, and I think their relationship can help us gain that kind of vision. So pray with me, and then we'll look together at this passage. Lord, thank you for your presence here, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Thank you for how you are committed to growing us up in you. But thank you, too, that you clearly use other people in our lives to grow us up, and you call us to invest our lives in others that they might grow as well. So, Lord, as we look at this together, help us catch a vision for what you have for us who you want to invest in, us to invest in, and who and how to do that, Lord, how to make disciples. So guide us in this. Teach us through the power of your Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I just want to highlight, we, we could look at a lot of different things about Paul and Timothy's relationship, but as I said, I just want to highlight four principles of what I think this kind of relationship looks like. First principle I want to highlight is that it's a long-term relationship with an emphasis on the word relationship. Relationship. Paul, for example, met Timothy in Lystra on his second missionary journey in about 51 A.D. It's recounted for us in Acts chapter 16. We actually studied through this passage last spring in the book of Acts as we were going through it. And Begins this way, Acts chapter 16. Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra. And a a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And really, from then on, Paul 
and Timothy became co-workers in the gospel for the next 15 years. It strikes me as Paul chooses Timothy and says, I want you to come with me. I want to invest my life in you. I want to spend time with you. He crosses a number of boundaries to do that. For example, he crossed a generational boundary. I think sometimes we think, oh yeah, I don't understand people of a different generation and that would be hard for me to invest in them, but Paul reached across. Timothy was somewhat younger, from what we can tell, quite a bit younger, and he calls him his son, for example, so he obviously was younger, and he, he reached across that barrier. He reached across a national line, though it was all the Roman Empire, where Timothy was raised, and what is now Turkey was very different from where Paul was raised. He raised a, reached across ethnic differences, for example, ethnic line. Timothy was half Greek and was probably raised more as a Greek than a Jew like Paul was. But all of that didn't really matter. Paul saw something in Timothy he appreciated and valued and said, I want to build a relationship with this young man and grow him in the ministry. He invested in his life. You know, that's what discipleship really is, right? It is a relationship, a relationship, a committed relationship. That's what Jesus did with his disciples way back in the Gospels. I just want to read the passage that talks about that in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, where Jesus chose his disciples. It says, He went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve so that they would be, get this, he appointed twelve so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach. I love those two parts to it. First and foremost, he chose them to be with him, to have a relationship with him, to spend time together, get, to get to know each other, to walk through life together, but also to give them ministry opportunities to send them out so they could have an impact on the world. I just highlight this because a lot of times we don't understand what discipleship it is and we think about maybe meeting with someone and we have to study something and we have to go through these materials and I need to pour my knowledge into this person. But I don't think discipleship is really meant to be that way. I think it's much more just a relationship and growing together. See, it's not just taking someone through materials. My, my experience is that when I first came to Christ at age 17, my dear pastor, Pastor Phil, at our little church, took me and said, I'm going to disciple you. And he, we worked through these booklets that were like six weeks of discipleship materials. And at the end of that, I was discipled. Well, then I went to college and I was eager to learn. I just wanted to get involved in everything, and I got involved in two national campus ministries, two different ones. And one, they took me, the staff leader took me through a 10-week series. The other staff leader took me through a nine-week series. And at the end of that time, we were done. I was disciple. But they didn't know me at all. I don't know them. I don't remember their names. And in fact... I think if they had known me and taken time to know me, they might have picked up on the idea that actually going through those materials was probably more harmful to my spiritual life than helpful. 
Why do I say that? Because I'm a, I'm, I'm a disciplined, driven person and you tell me what rules to follow and do this and yeah, I'll do that. But I think it took me years to get away from depending on those rules rather than getting to know Jesus and walk with him. See, a relationship is what discipleship is all about. My senior year in college, however, I had a different experience. We had a new college pastor. His name was Brian at the church I was going to, Peninsula Bible Church, California. New college pastor, and he had been, as a Sanford student a few years before, had been discipled, been building a relationship with a man named David Roper who ended up coming here being our senior pastor from 1978 to 1995. He invested in Brian, and so Brian said, well, that's what I'm going to do. Just build a relationship. Do what David did with me. And so he came, and we began to build a relationship. We had a study in our house. Four guys lived in a small house. Every Thursday, we studied the book of Romans together. But the most important thing I remember about those days with Brian was every Monday we would run, either a five-mile run or a seven-mile run. And then afterwards, we'd go have a milkshake at Peninsula Creamery. (laughs) We had to, you know, regain all those calories we'd burned off, right? Those were the best days. Because as we'd run, we'd talk constantly. Talk about the Lord, talk about our lives, families, etc., etc., and then have a milkshake together, share our lives together every Monday. Those were the best of times. Then when he, during that period, he'd had two children die in the first two weeks of life because of a genetic disorder. And as he found out his wife, Emily, was pregnant again, I remember standing under the stars and crying out to the Lord and crying together for God to spare this baby. It knit our hearts together. And by the way, Jenny is fine. (laughs) Praise God for that. I remember going to Israel with him and sitting on the end of the dock and sharing our lives with Jesus and with one another as we prayed together on the Sea of Galilee. Now, 41 years later from the day we met, almost exactly to the day. We don't see each other very often, but when we do, we have deep conversations, we share our lives. But every May, he sends me on my birthday a book for my birthday. And it's always some meaningful book that's had an impact in his life spiritually. And I love getting that because it reminds me, for one, that we love each other. But it also helps me grow in Christ. For me personally, God has inspired me to say, well, that's what he did with me. I don't know what else to do. I'll do the same thing with others. And God's given me over the years people to invest my life in. One of the first, right at the beginning, right after I started ministry, when I left California, moved to Moscow, and I met a guy named Martin, and we met every week. We did a variety of things. We went skiing, whatever, but we had breakfast together every week, studied the Word together. And we still, to this day, go backpacking almost every summer together where we share our lives. And again, we don't intersect that often, but when we do, we can go deep 
quickly. Now he meets with guys. He has a group he calls the bedheads because they get out of bed <laughs> and they go for a hike or they cross-country ski depending on the weather and then they sit down and have a study together. The bedheads. But I love the chain, right? Of how you just do what's been done to you and if you've never been discipled well, someone investing in your life, well, that doesn't mean you can't begin. But that's what it's all about. It's building a relationship with someone else and then just encouraging one another to grow. That's what Jesus did, right, with the disciples. He said, hey, come be with me. And they walked for three, three and a half years together. And then, yes, he went to heaven. But remember his very last words to them in that great commission. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Still walked with his disciples. Still walks with us. So I love that picture of discipleship. It's just a great reminder. It's a relationship. You might have coffee together. You might have a study, have a meal together, whatever it is. You might go for a hike or run or whatever it might be. But it's, it's just simply how you begin to relate to one another. But a big part of that, of course, is pointing them to God. And that's my second principle that I see in the relationship of Paul and Timothy is Paul invites him into God's bigger story. Paul invites Timothy into God's bigger story. At the beginning of the book, you see that relationship to Timothy, my beloved son. I thank God as I remember your tears and your prayers. But then immediately after that, after talking about the importance of their relationship, notice what he says in chapter 1, verse 8. And think as you hear this, how this would inspire you to live beyond your everyday life. If you were Timothy having this written to you. Therefore, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. I love that because I think about Timothy there as a young man and Paul saying, hey, don't be ashamed, but join with me. Live for something bigger than just making money in Lystra for the rest of your life. Not that he had to go anywhere, but live for the kingdom of God. There's a kingdom of God that's being established. And Jesus has come and called us with a holy calling. And he's got his own purpose and grace that he's given to us that we can begin to live for. There's more to life, Paul tells Timothy. Remember Jesus. Remember the power of God's word. We could read a lot of the whole book and you just get this sense of how Paul is calling him to more. Chapter 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. Again, it's that call to more. And we have the privilege of encouraging people to, as we get involved in their lives, to not just hang out together, that's important, 
But in our conversations, how do we help this person see their place in God's bigger story? What their giftedness is. How they fit into what God wants to do in their lives. Last Sunday, Hernan and Joan de la Cruz flew to Spain. And one of the great privileges I've had in the last few years is walking alongside Hernan as he's been part of the men's ministry and I've had the opportunity to help him teach and encourage him. And, and I think of the words in, in, in verse 7 of chapter 1 where Paul tells Timothy, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And Aaron could be timid at times. But I could encourage him and say, Hey, God's given you a spirit that's greater than that. And he's called you. He's gifted you. And here's your opportunity to step out and begin using your gifts. And it was such a joy to send them to Spain and see what God will do. He's ready, not because he has it all together, but he's got the life of God in him. He became more and more part of God's greater story, being part of all of you in this body. And that's, that's what it is. That's a key to discipleship. Keep inviting the person deeper and deeper into a bigger story. God's story. Not that we have to have it all together. We're not all there. It's just simply we keep pointing each other mutual in a mutual relationship and then watching God work. I love the way Jesus did it, right? He, he called the disciples, and I'm thinking of Peter, James, and John. You know, they're fishermen and they're fishing, and Jesus says, Hey, you fishermen. There's something more to live for, and I want you to become fishers of men. I want you to be part of God's bigger story. God's kingdom is here, so let's join in together, and let's live together for something greater. Third principle I want to highlight that I see again in Timothy and Paul's relationship is that that Paul continually points Timothy to focus on both truth and love. He always is pointing Tim to focus on both truth and love. I find that this is a struggle for us to keep balanced, every one of us. (laughs) Seems like some of us are just really good at emphasizing truth, but we can run over people. Or we're so focused on love and we want to encourage people and, and walk with them and, and bless them and all of that, that we compromise truth. But as I read the book of Second Timothy, I, I just see Paul constantly pointing Timothy to both. Keep both in balance. Don't forget one or the other. Learn to stand up and retain the standard of sound words and live for the truth, but at the same time, love well. Don't use the word as a club, but use it to bless. He talks about that in chapter 2 where he says, hey, don't get into arguments even when people are wrong, but with gentleness, correct, but then pray for God that he might release the captives, those who are caught in falsehood. So it's that, it's that wonderful, wonderful balance that Paul does with Timothy. I just want to highlight a couple of verses. Chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, where he says, Retain the standard of sound words which you've heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. 
guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which, you, which has been entrusted to you. So he says, stand up for the truth. Retain it. Guard it. And then he immediately says, you're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me along with whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. It's <laughs> a lot to say. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. And he goes on to talk about relationships. He says, retain the standard of sound words. Don't forget relationship. Keep both in mind. And, and as we're investing in one another's lives, I think that that's important. As you're walking alongside a friend, pay attention. Where, where are they overemphasizing one side or the other? Do they need more truth? Do they need to hold on to the truth and stand up for it? Or maybe what they need is to learn how to be more loving, how to be more caring. And I love the way Paul just keeps pointing Timothy to both. He challenges them and understands Timothy's weaknesses. And I think one of the biggest challenges is he keeps saying, don't be ashamed of the gospel, Timothy. Hold on to it. Retain it. Because he knows that Timothy's weakness is, well, he's afraid of rejection. He's afraid of standing up for the gospel and what it might cost him. And so he keeps pointing him that way because he knows him well and he knows his weaknesses. So just think about that as you invest in someone else's life is how can you keep pointing them to both truth and love and finding that balance in their lives? Again, it's what Jesus did so well, right? You think about how he loved the disciples and kept pointing out grace to them, but he wasn't afraid to challenge them and teach them truth either. Even to the point with Peter saying, get behind me, Satan. You're not, you're not teaching what God teaches, you're teaching what man teaches. He wasn't afraid to confront at times. But they could hear it because, why? They knew he loved them. Fourth principle, or last one that I want to highlight, and there's some overlap in these, but I think as I look especially at these last verses, the very last verses, is that he encourages them toward the love of God and others. He encourages Timothy towards that. And as you think about who you're investing your life in, to keep pointing them, keep encouraging them towards the love of God and love of others. At the end of the book, the very last words to Timothy, and you think about it, we don't know, as Art said in his prayer, we don't know that Timothy ever made it. Paul says, please come before winter. But we don't have any evidence that he actually made it before Paul was executed. So these last words in this book were very possibly the last words that Paul could ever communicate to him. And yet, they're kind of simple words, but I think they're profound, where he says, greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus, Erastus remained at Corinth. He goes on to talk about Trophimus, Eubulus, these different people in verses 19 through 21. He reminds Timothy of these people. And I, I looked at that and I thought, wow, why? You know, last words are lasting words. Why did he want Timothy to have in his mind this greeting and these particular people? Why was that such an encouragement to Timothy? Well, I think about that, and what we do know about at least the first couple of people here, the first few, Prissa and Aquila, for example, 
Next week, we'll talk more about them as we get back into our study in Acts, and we'll be in Acts chapter 18, where Paul meets them. But I just want to highlight something about Prisca and Aquila. He met them in Corinth. They invited him into their home, and they worked as tent makers together. So I'm assuming Paul was on a journey, and so they shared their income, their job with him. They worked together. Later on, we find that they planted a church and had a church living in their home. We see that in 1 Corinthians. I just want to read that because I think it's worth reading. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19 The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Prissa greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Paul's writing from Ephesus probably at that point. So they have a house church meeting in their home. They were people who were incredibly hospitable, in other words. And Timothy knew them, knew them well. I think Paul mentions them here because he wants Timothy to learn from them. Be hospitable. Love others with what you have, with your home, with your money, with your job, with your goods. Whatever you have, whatever you do, use it to love others. Then he mentions Onesiphorus. He mentioned him at the end of chapter 1 where he says, verse 16, The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. I was struck as I looked back at that word refreshed. It's the Greek word ana, which means up or lift, and psuche, which means soul, where we get our word psychology, okay? To lift the soul. No one else in the scriptures is described as one who did this, one who lifts the soul of another. I love that picture. And I think it's a reminder from Paul to Timothy, don't forget Onesiphorus and be like him. Be someone like Prissa and Aquila who use what you have to bless others, but also be a soul lifter. Be someone who pays attention to what's going on in the souls of the people around you. And see what you can do to encourage them in their love of God and encourage them. And, you know, we all go through hard times. Paul had experienced that. We saw last week how down Paul God and he was abandoned and lonely and all of those things that he experienced. And Paul talks about being going through times of despair in 2 Corinthians where he despaired even in life. He was experiencing such depression. But Onesiphorus was somebody who cared about his soul and others and was a soul lifter. So as we think about encouraging someone else, but also our own lives, are we soul lifters? Are we people who get to know people and what's going on in their hearts. We listen to their story. We listen to what's going on inside and we look for ways to lift their soul towards Jesus and to point them to him. I think it's a wonderful encouragement to Timothy but also to all of us to be that kind of person. The other people we don't really know much about. I suspect they were people that Timothy knew and that they were encouragements in various ways to love others well as well. But we just don't know. 
But then the very last line, which could be a throwaway to a lot of us, but I think it's really significant. Verse 22, the Lord, my translation says, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. Uh, There's no verb in the Greek, so it could be the Lord is with your spirit. He may be just reminding Timothy of that. The Lord is with your spirit, grace is with you. This final line is a reminder to Timothy, look, the last line I'm writing to you, the most important thing I want you to always remember is the Lord is with you. No matter what you go through, no matter what happens, here I am in prison, I'm about to be headed, but the Lord is with me. And he will be with you no matter what you go through. And his love is with you, his grace God's favor, his delight in you is with you, Timothy, no matter where you are. So never forget that. See, I think that's a wonderful model for us as we think about making disciples. Do we keep pointing people to what God's called them to do to love others? And do we keep pointing them to love God as well and know his love and his presence in their lives in an ever-deepening way? See, discipleship isn't just going through a book, but it also isn't just hanging out together and having coffee, but not talking about anything real significant. It's about a relationship where together we are learning to see how God's story is so much bigger and let's be part of it. And to see what God calls us to in loving others and loving one another and hanging on to truth and love and all of that together. As Jesus did with his disciples, right? He focused on love of God and love of others. In fact, he told them, by the way, here's the greatest commandment, the main thing I want you to focus on. Keep the main thing the main thing. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that is what we are to do when we are in a discipleship relationship with one another. It's been said, and I agree, that every one of us, no matter who we are and no matter where we are in the Christian life, we should have a Timothy in our lives and a Paul. (laughs) We should have a Timothy, somebody who's maybe a little further back on the path, but we just want to invest in their lives and encourage them and help them grow. And we should have a Paul in our lives, if possible, who's a little further ahead that we get to learn from and that can keep pointing us to love God more and depend on him and be part of his bigger story. Even if no one's ever invested in you in that way, you can begin to do that. And see, what happens when you do that? Like David Roper to Brian, to me, to Aaron, to who he disciples, you form a great chain and you link arms together that The chain begins all the way back when Jesus rose from the dead and it continues all the way up into the future. That's what we get to be part of when we link arms with somebody to make disciples. So I guess the question is, is it a priority in our lives? And and it's worth asking right now just to take a moment and say, Lord, who are you asking me to invest in? Who are you asking me to help grow in you, to help be a disciple of yours, a follower 
of yours. Let's pray together. Lord, I love this relationship between Paul and Timothy. It's, it's beautiful as Paul loves him and says, you're my beloved son and I remember your tears and I, I love you, Timothy. But he also challenges him in the truth. And Lord, you've given us, by your spirit in us, the ability to have an impact for good on others' lives. Yeah, we're not adequate, we know that. But you're in us, and so, Lord, show us who you want to invest our lives, who you want us to invest our lives in. Just a relationship where we point each other to you. That we might join in that great chain that is building the kingdom of God as we build relationships with one another. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.